start of reading chapter 69 chapter 69 of don quixote volume 2 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org don quixote volume 2 by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby Chapter 69 Of the strangest and most extraordinary adventure that befell Don Quixote in the whole course of this great history. The horsemen dismounted, and, together with the men on foot, without a moment's delay taking up Sancho and Don Quixote bodily, they carried them into the court, all round which near a hundred torches fixed in sockets were burning besides above five hundred lamps in the corridors, so that in spite of the night, which was somewhat dark, the want of daylight could not be perceived. In the middle of the court was a catafalque, raised about two yards above the ground, and covered completely by an immense canopy of black velvet, and on the steps all round it white wax tapers burned in more than a hundred silver candlesticks. Upon the catafalque was seen the dead body of a damsel so lovely that by her beauty she made death itself look beautiful. She lay with her head resting upon a cushion, a brocade, and crowned with a garland of sweet-smelling flowers of divers sorts, her hands crossed upon her bosom, and between them a branch of yellow palm of victory. On one side of the court was erected a stage whereupon two chairs were seated two persons, who from having crowns on their heads and scepters in their hands appeared to be kings of some sort, whether real or mock ones. By the side of this stage, which was reached by steps, were two other chairs on which the men carrying the prisoners seated Don Quixote and Sancho, all in silence, and by signs giving them to understand that they too were to be silent, which, however, they would have been without any signs, for their amazement at all they saw held them tongue-tied. And now two persons of distinction, who were at once recognized by Don Quixote as his hosts, the Duke and Duchess, ascended the stage attended by a numerous suite, and seated themselves on two gorgeous chairs close to the two kings, as they seemed to be. Who would not have been amazed at this? Nor was this all, for Don Quixote had perceived that the dead body on the catafalque was that of the fair Altisidora. As the Duke and Duchess mounted the stage, Don Quixote and Sancho rose and made them a profound obeisance, which they returned by bowing their heads slightly. At this moment an official crossed over, and approaching Sancho, threw over him a robe of black buckram, painted all over with flames of fire, and taking off his cap, put upon his head a mitre, such as those undergoing the sentence of the holy office wear, and whispered in his ear that he must not open his lips, or they would put a gag upon him, or take his life. Sancho surveyed himself from head to foot, and saw himself all ablaze with flames. But, 
as they did not burn him, he did not care two farthings for them. He took off the mitre, and seeing painted with devils, he put it on again, saying to himself, Well, so far those don't burn me, nor do these carry me off. Don Quixote surveyed him too, and though fear had got the better of his faculties, he could not help smiling to see the figure Sancho presented. And now, from underneath the catafalque, so it seemed, there rose a low, sweet sound of flutes, which coming unbroken by human voice, for there silence itself kept silence, had a soft and languishing effect. Then, beside the pillow of what seemed to be the dead body, suddenly appeared a fair youth in a Roman habit, who, to the accompaniment of a harp which he himself played, sang in a sweet and clear voice these two stanzas. While fair Altisidora, who the sport of cold Don Quixote's cruelty hath been, returns to life, and in this magic court the dames and sables come to grace the scene, and while her matrons all in seemly sort, my lady robes in bays and bombazine, her beauty and her sorrows will I sing, with defter quill than touch the Thracian string. But not in life alone, methinks, to me belongs the office. Lady, when my tongue is cold in death, believe me, unto thee my voice shall raise its tributary song. My soul from this straight prison-house set free, as o'er the Stygian lake it floats along, thy praises singing still shall hold its way, and make the waters of oblivion stay. At this point one of the two that looked like kings exclaimed, Enough, enough, divine singer. It would be an endless task to put before us now the death and the charms of the peerless Altisidora, not dead as the ignorant world imagines, but living in the voice of fame and in the penance which Sancho Panza, here present, has to undergo to restore her to the long-lost light. Do thou, therefore, O Radamanthus, who sittest in judgment with me in the murky caverns of Dis, as thou knowest all that the inscrutable fates have decreed touching the resuscitation of this damsel, announce and declare it at once, that the happiness we look forward to from her restoration be no longer deferred. No sooner had Minos, the fellow judge of Radamanthus, said this, then Radamanthus, rising up, said, Ho, officials of this house, high and low, great and small, make haste hither, one and all, and print on Sancho's face four and twenty smacks, and give him twelve pinches, and six pin thrusts in the back and arms, for upon this ceremony depends the restoration of Altisidora. On hearing this, Sancho broke silence and cried out, by all that's good, I'll as soon let my face be smacked or handled as turn more. Body o' me, what has handling my face got to do with the resurrection of this damsel? The old woman took kindly to the blitz, they enchant Dulcinea, and whip me in order to disenchant her. Altisidora dies of ailments God was pleased to send her, and to bring her to life again they must give me four and twenty smacks, 
and prick holes in my body with pins and raise wheels on my arms with pinches? Try those jokes on a brother-in-law. I'm an old dog, and tistus is no use with me. Thou shalt die, said Radamanthus in a loud voice. Relent, thou tiger. Humble thyself, proud Nimrod. Suffer and be silent, for no impossibilities are asked of thee. It is not for thee to inquire into the difficulties in this matter. Smacked thou must be. Pricked thou shalt see thyself, and with pinches thou must be made to howl. Ho, oh, I say, officials, obey my orders, or by the word of an honest man ye shall see what ye were born for. At this, some six duennas, advancing across the court, made their appearance in procession, one after the other, four of them with spectacles, and all with their right hands uplifted, showing four fingers of wrist to make their hands look longer, as is the fashion nowadays. No sooner had Sancho caught sight of them than bellowing like a bull, he exclaimed, I might let myself be handled by all the world, but allow duenas to touch me not a bit of it. Scratch my face, as my master was served in this very castle. Run me through the body with burnished daggers. Pinch my arms with red-hot pincers. I'll bear all impatience to serve these gentlefolk. But I won't let duenas touch me, though the devil should carry me off. Here Don Quixote, too, broke silence, saying to Sancho, Have patience, my son, and gratify these noble persons, and give all thanks to heaven that it has infused such virtue into thy person, that by its sufferings thou canst disenchant the enchanted and restore to life the dead. The duenas were now close to Sancho, and he, having become more tractable and reasonable, Settling himself well in his chair, presented his face and beard to the first, who delivered him a smack very stoutly laid on, and then made him a low curtsy. "'Less politeness and less paint, Signora Duena," said Sancho. "'By God, your hands smell of vinegar wash!' In fine, all the duenas smacked him, and several others of the household pinched him, but what he could not stand was being pricked by the pins, and so, apparently out of patience, he started up out of his chair, and seizing a lighted torch that stood near him, fell upon the duenas and the whole set of his tormentors, exclaiming, Begone, ye ministers of hell! I'm not made of brass, not to feel such out-of-the-way tortures! At this instant, Altisidora, who probably was tired of having been so long lying on her back, turned on her side, seeing which the bystanders cried out almost with one voice, Altisidora is alive! Altisidora lives! Redamanthus bade Sancho put away his wrath, as the object they had in view was now attained. When Don Quixote saw Altisidora move, he went on his knees to Sancho, saying to him, Now is the time, son of my bowels, not to call thee my squire, for thee to give thyself some of those lashes thou art bound to lay on for the disenchantment of Dulcinea. Now, I say, is the time when the virtue that is in thee is ripe and endowed with efficacy to work the good that is looked for from thee. To which Sancho made answer, 
That's trick upon trick, I think. And not honey upon pancakes. A nice thing it would be for a whipping to come now on the top of pinches, smacks, and pin proddings. You had better take a big stone and tie it round my neck and pitch me into a well. I should not mind it much if I'm to be always made the cow of the wedding for the cure of other people's ailments. Leave me alone, or else, by God, I'll fling the whole thing to the dogs, let come what may. Altisidora had by this time set up on the catafalque, and as she did so the clarions sounded, accompanied by the flutes and the voices of all present, exclaiming, Long life to Altisidora! Long life to Altisidora! The Duke and Duchess, and the Kings Minos and Radamanthus stood up, and all, together with Don Quixote and Sancho, advanced to receive her and take her down from the catafalque, and she, making as though she were recovering from a swoon, bowed her head to the Duke and Duchess and to the Kings, and looking sideways at Don Quixote, said to him, God forgive thee, insensible knight, for through thy cruelty I have been, to me it seems, more than a thousand years in the other world. And to thee, the most compassionate upon earth, I render thanks for the life I am now in possession of. From this day forth, friend Sancho, count as thine six smocks of mine, which I bestow upon thee, to make as many shirts for thyself. And if they are not all quite whole, at any rate they are all clean. Sancho kissed her hands in gratitude, kneeling, and with the mitre in his hand. The duke bade them take it from him, and give him back his cap and doublet, and remove the flaming robe. Sancho begged the duke to let them leave him the robe and mitre, as he wanted to take them home for a token and memento of that unexampled adventure. The duchess said they must leave them with him, for he knew already what a great friend of his she was. The duke then gave orders that the court should be cleared, and that all should retire to their chambers, and that Don Quixote and Sancho should be conducted to their old quarters. End of chapter 69 Recording by Kelly Doherty of Plano, Texas, January 6, 2008Chapter 70, which follows 69, and deals with matters indispensable for the clear comprehension of this history. Sancho slept that night in a cot in the same chamber with Don Quixote, a thing he would have gladly excused if he could, for he knew very well that with questions and answers his master would not let him sleep, and he was in no humor for talking much as he still felt the pain of his late martyrdom, which interfered with his freedom of speech. And it would have been more to his taste to sleep in a hovel alone than in that luxurious chamber in company. And so well-founded did his apprehension prove, and so correct was his anticipation, that scarcely had his master got into bed when he said, What dost thou think of tonight's adventure, Sancho? Great and mighty is the power of cold-hearted scorn, for thou with thine own eyes hast seen Altisidora slain, not by arrows, nor by the sword, 
nor by any warlike weapon, nor by deadly poisons, but by the thought of the sternness and scorn with which I have always treated her. She might have died and welcome, said Sancho, when she pleased and how she pleased, and she might have left me alone. For I never made her fall in love or scorned her. I don't know, nor can I imagine, how the recovery of Altisidora, a damsel more fanciful than wise, can have, as I have said before, anything to do with the sufferings of Sancho Panza. Now I begin to see plainly and clearly that there are enchanters and enchanted people in the world, and may God deliver me from them, since I can't deliver myself. And so I beg of your worship to let me sleep, and not ask me any more questions unless you want me to throw myself out of the window. Sleep, Sancho, my friend, said Don Quixote, if the pin prodding and pinches thou hast received, and the smacks administered to thee will let thee. No pain came up to the insult of the smacks, said Sancho, for the simple reason that it was duenas, confound them, that gave them to me. But once more I entreat your worship to let me sleep, for sleep is relief from misery to those who are miserable when awake. Be it so, and God be with thee, said Don Quixote. They fell asleep, both of them, and Sidi Hemete, the author of this great history, took this opportunity to record and relate what it was that induced the Duke and Duchess to get up the elaborate plot that has been described. The bachelor Samson Carrasco, he says, not forgetting how he as the Knight of the Mirrors had been vanquished and overthrown by Don Quixote, which defeat and overthrow upset all his plans, resolved to try his hand again, hoping for better luck than he had before. And so, having learned where Don Quixote was, from the page who brought the letter and present to Sancho's wife, Teresa Panza, he got himself new armor and another horse, and put a white moon upon his shield, and to carry his arms he had a mule led by a peasant, not by Tom Cecil, his former squire, for fear he should be recognized by Sancho or Don Quixote. He came to the duke's castle, and the duke informed him of the road and route Don Quixote had taken, with the intention of being present at the jousts at Saragossa. He told him, too, of the jokes he had practiced upon him, and of the device for the disenchantment of Dulcinea at the expense of Sancho's backside. And finally he gave him an account of the trick Sancho had played upon his master, making him believe that Dulcinea was enchanted and turned into a country wench, and of how the duchess, his wife, had persuaded Sancho that it was he himself who was deceived, inasmuch as Dulcinea was really enchanted, at which the bachelor laughed not a little, and marveled as well at the sharpness and simplicity of Sancho as at the length to which Don Quixote's madness went. The duke begged of him, if he found him, whether he overcame him or not, to return that way and let him know the result. This the bachelor did. He set out in quest of Don Quixote, and not finding him at Saragossa, he went on, and how he fared has already been told. He returned to the duke's castle and told him all, what the conditions of the combat were, and how Don Quixote was now, like a loyal knight-errant, returning to keep his promise of retiring to his village for a year, by which time, said the bachelor, he might perhaps be cured of his madness. 
for that was the object that had led him to adopt these disguises, as it was a sad thing for a gentleman of such good parts as Don Quixote to be a madman. And so he took his leave of the Duke, and went home to his village to wait there for Don Quixote, who was coming after him. Thereupon the Duke seized the opportunity of practicing this mystification upon him, so much did he enjoy everything connected with Sancho and Don Quixote. He had the roads about the castle, far and near, everywhere he thought Don Quixote was likely to pass on his return, occupied by large numbers of his servants on foot and on horseback, who were to bring him to the castle by fair means or foul if they met him. They did meet him, and sent word to the Duke, who, having already settled what was to be done, as soon as he heard of his arrival, ordered the torches and lamps in the court to be lit, and Altisidora to be placed on the catafalque, with all the pomp and ceremony that has been described. The whole affair being so well arranged and acted that it differed but little from reality. And Sidi Himete says, moreover, that for his part he considers the concocters of the joke as crazy as the victims of it, and that the Duke and Duchess were not two fingers' breadth removed from being something like fools themselves when they took such pains to make game of a pair of fools. As for the latter, one was sleeping soundly, and the other lying awake, occupied with his desultory thoughts, when daylight came to them, bringing with it the desire to rise, for the lazy down was never a delight to Don Quixote, victor or vanquished. Altisidora, come back from death to life as Don Quixote fancied, following up the freak of her lord and lady, entered the chamber, crowned with the garland she had worn on the catafalque, and in a robe of white taffeta, embroidered with gold flowers, her hair flowing loose over her shoulders, and leaning upon a staff of fine black ebony. Don Quixote, disconcerted and in confusion at her appearance, huddled himself up, and well nigh covered himself altogether with the sheets and counterpane of the bed, tongue-tied and unable to offer her any civility. Altisidora seated herself on a chair at the head of the bed, and after a deep sigh said to him in a feeble, soft voice, When women of rank and modest maidens trample under honor underfoot, and give a loose to the tongue that breaks through every impediment, publishing abroad the inmost secrets of their hearts, they are reduced to sore extremities. Such a one am I, Signor Don Quixote of La Mancha, crushed, conquered, love-smitten, and yet patient under suffering and virtuous, and so much so that my heart broke with grief, and I lost my life. For the last two days I have been dead, slain by the thought of the cruelty with which thou hast treated me, obdurate knight. O oh, harder thou than marble to my plaint, or at least believed to be dead by all who saw me, and had it not been that love, taking pity on me, let my recovery rest upon the sufferings of this good squire, there I should have remained in the other world. Love might very well have let it rest upon the sufferings of my ass, and I should have been obliged to him, said Sancho. But tell me, Signora, and may heaven send you a tenderer lover than my master, what did you see in the other world? 
what goes on in hell? For, of course, that's where one who dies in despair is bound for. To tell you the truth, said Altisidora, I cannot have died outright, for I did not go into hell. Had I gone in, it is very certain I should never have come out again, do what I might. The truth is, I came to the gate, where some dozen or so devils were playing tennis, all in breeches and doublets, with falling collars trimmed with Flemish bone lace, and ruffles of the same that served them for wristbands, with four fingers' breadth of the arms exposed, to make their hands look longer. In their hands they held rackets of fire, but what amazed me still more was that books, apparently full of wind and rubbish, served them for tennis balls. A strange and marvelous thing. This, however, did not astonish me so much as to observe that, although with players it is usual for the winners to be glad and the losers sorry, there in that game all were growling, all were snarling, and all were cursing one another. That's no wonder, said Sancho, for devils, whether playing or not, can never be content, win or lose. Very likely, said Altisidora. But there is another thing that surprises me too. I mean, surprised me then. And that was that no ball at last of the first throw, or was of any, of any use a second time. And it was wonderful the constant succession there was of books, new and old. To one of them, a brand new, well-bound one, they gave such a stroke that they knocked the guts out of it and scattered the leaves about. Look what book that is, said one devil to another. And the other replied, it is the second part of the history of Don Quixote of La Mancha, not by Sidi Hamete, the original author, but by an Aragonese, who by his own account is of Tordesillas. Out of this with it, said the first, and into the depths of hell with it, out of my sight. Is it so bad, said the other? So bad is it, said the first, that if I had set myself deliberately to make it worse, I could not have done it. They then went on with their game, knocking other books about, and I, having heard them mention the name of Don Quixote, whom I love and adore so, took care to retain this vision in my memory. A vision it must have been, no doubt, said Don Quixote, for there is no other I in the world. This history has been going about here for some time from hand to hand, but it does not stay long in any, for everybody gives it a taste of his foot. I am not disturbed by hearing that I am wandering in a fantastic shape in the darkness of the pit or in the daylight above, for I am not the one that history treats of. If it should be good, faithful, and true, it will have ages of life. But if it should be bad, from its birth to its burial will not be a very long journey. Altisidora was about to proceed with her complaint against Don Quixote when he said to her, I have several times told you, Senora, that it grieves me you should have set your affections upon me. As from mine they can only receive gratitude but no return. I was born to belong to Dulcinea del Tobosa, and the fates, if there are any, dedicated me to her, and to suppose that any other beauty can take the place she occupies in my heart is to suppose an impossibility. This frank declaration should suffice to make you retire within the bounds of your modesty, for no one can bind himself to do impossibilities.
Hearing this, Altisidora, with a show of anger and agitation, exclaimed, God's life! Don Stockfish! Soul of a mortar! Stone of a date! More obstinate and obdurate than a clown asked a favor when he has his mind made up. If I fall upon you, I'll tear your eyes out. Do you fancy, Don Vanquished, Don Cudgeled, that I died for your sake? All that you have seen tonight has been make-believe. I'm not the woman to let the black of my nails suffer for such a camel, much less die. That I can well believe, said Sancho, for all that about lovers pining to death is absurd. They may talk of it, but as for doing it, Judas may believe that. While they were talking, the musician, singer, and poet, who had sung the two stanzas given above, came in, and making a profound obeisance to Don Quixote, said, Will your worship, Sir Knight, reckon and retain me in the number of your most faithful servants? For I have long been a great admirer of yours, as well because of your fame as because of your achievements. Will your worship tell me who you are, replied Don Quixote, so that my courtesy may be answerable to your deserts? The young man replied that he was the musician and songster of the night before. Of a truth, said Don Quixote, your worship has a most excellent voice, but what you sang did not seem to me very much to the purpose. For what have Garcilaso's stanzas to do with the death of this lady? Don't be surprised at that, returned the musician, for with the callow poets of our day, the way is for every one to write as he pleases, and pilfer where he chooses, whether it be germane to the matter or not. And nowadays there is no piece of silliness they can sing or write that is not set down to poetic license. Don Quixote was about to reply, but was prevented by the Duke and Duchess, who came in to see him, and with them there followed a long and delightful conversation in the course of which Sancho's, Sancho said so many droll and saucy things that he left the duke and duchess wondering not only in his simplicity, but at his sharpness. Don Quixote begged their permission to take his departure that same day, inasmuch as for a vanquished knight like himself it was fitter he should live in a pigsty than in a royal palace. They gave it very readily, and the duchess asked him if Altisidora was in his good graces. He replied, Signora, let me tell your ladyship that this damsel's ailment comes entirely of idleness, and the cure for it is honest and constant employment. She herself has told me that lace is worn in hell, and as she must know how to make it, let it never be out of her hands. For when she is occupied in shifting the bottom bobbins to and fro, the images or image of what she loves will not shift to and fro in her thoughts. This is the truth. This is my opinion, and this is my advice. And mine, added Sancho, for I never in all my life saw a lace maker that died for love. When damsels are at work, their minds are more set on finishing their tasks than on thinking of their loves. I speak from my own experience, for when I'm digging, I never think of my old woman, I mean my Teresa Panza, whom I love better than my own eyelids. You say well, Sancho, said the Duchess, and I will take care that my Altisidora employs herself henceforward in needlework of some sort, for she is extremely expert at it. 
There is no occasion to have recourse to that remedy, Signora, said Altisidora, for the mere thought of the cruelty with which this vagabond villain has treated me will suffice to blot him out of my memory without any other device. With your highness's leave I will retire. Not to have before my eyes, I won't say his rueful countenance, but his abominable, ugly looks. That reminds me of the common saying, that he that rails is ready to forgive, said the duke. Altisidora then, pretending to wipe away her tears with a handkerchief, made an obeisance to her master and mistress, and quitted the room. "'Ill luck betide thee, poor damsel,' said Sancho. "'Ill luck betide thee! Thou hast fallen in with a soul as dry as a rush, and a heart as hard as oak. Had it been me, in faith, another cock would have crowed to thee!' So the conversation came to an end, and Don Quixote dressed himself and dined with the Duke and Duchess, and set out the same evening. End of chapter 70 Recording by Kelly Doherty of Plano, Texas, January 6, 2008